Let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened, we pray. Amen. So we are, for the first time in months, enjoying on-site Holy Communion, visit to the Lord's table for the first time here. Uh, I've been overwhelmed, and I, Courtney and I were talking about this right before the service. It's absolutely heartwarming and, and overwhelming to see how people adapted and participated in communion online. You know, that, that uh, it's hard to remember since it's been so long ago, but when my family and I led you in the Monday Thursday uh, communion service from our home, and, and when, when I led communion from the sanctuary here, and, and, and you were at home participating, and, and I thought, wow, this is so cool, you know, that, and, and it really is the inspiration for today's message, because as we go together today to the Lord's table, we are fewer in number, considerably, and we're going to practice safe distancing and other protocols to try to avoid adding to the problems that COVID-19 have brought to our world. And so it might be tempting to think that it isn't the same, you know, because the whole nature of Holy Communion is intimacy. It's intimacy with God, it's intimacy with each other as members of the body of Christ. But I hope before I'm done in the next few minutes, you'll begin to join me in feeling a great intimacy despite the lack of physically present brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's the goal for this message. And since it's a pretty tough challenge, I wanna begin with a quick prayer. Taken from Psalm 19, Lord, may the words of my mouth in this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So let's start with today's service uh, passage, today's scripture reading for, for the service. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Some of you are probably going to be able to recite it with me. It's so familiar. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured, endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews is usually considered to be the Apostle Paul, and it's because his writing style is very familiar and sounds like him, but we don't know for sure who wrote it. And the main thing that we hear is his self-identification with us, that, that he's already hinting at, not so subtly in my opinion, he's already hinting at the unity that exists over time, that he is making it clear that regardless of our separation by the short lifespans we live on earth and the passage of time, there is a timelessness to the family of faith. He's already suggesting that we are 
one and the same, regardless of what era we happen to live in. He uses the, the uh, reference to racing, and, and you know, he's, he's often describing foot races in his various letters. And so when I think about this foot race that he's describing, I, I personally think that he's probably describing something like uh, a relay race. You know, he's saying that others have run and they have passed the baton and now stand on the sidelines cheering you on as you carry it to the next level and then you pass the baton. And I think that he's describing that in a uniquely Christian way because he's describing it as something that is both temporal and supernatural. He's talking about all of the brothers and sisters that we are around through the days of our race to Christ. And he's also talking about those who have gone before us and are not witnessing it from the same existence as we experience, but at the same time, cheering us on, urging us on. He also describes what I think I would, dis would, 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 uh, I would describe it this way. He's saying Jesus has already mapped out the course, run the course, cleared the more difficult obstacles, and now stands at the finish line waiting for you to cross the finish line and to cheer you on as you race toward him. And now I can really picture that. I have a picture in my office. It's hanging on the, uh, a door in my office. And it's a picture of a person who is in Jesus' throne room and fallen into his embrace. And Jesus is holding a uh, a crown in his hand and below him are these released shackles that have been left to lie beside this person who has entered into his throne room and behind Jesus is an angel standing there with a white robe and if you were listening to the last several messages where we've been talking about those letters to the seven churches perhaps you remember all the promises he made to the ones who finish the race, because he's the perfecter of our, our course. In other words, he's, he smoothed it out for us so we can't help but win. And then he describes in his own words, in those seven letters that we've reviewed, how Jesus is going to give you a white robe, a crown of glory. He's going to give you a new name and a, and a signet. You know, it, it's like... Um, no, I'm not going to use that example. I was about to describe how I, you know, bought a, a tag for the dog I just adopted. You know, and it's like now it's my dog. But it seems like a really trivial way to describe it. But in a sense, that's what I want us to hear is that Jesus is saying when you get to the finish line, I'm going to put a new white garment on you that shows your purity. I'm going to crown you because you have become sons and daughters of God, like him, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's going to sort of hang a new name tag over you that is his special name for you. And these are all promises that we found in the Revelation letters that we've been reviewing over the last several weeks. And so this passage then is describing how unique the body of Christ is in its timelessness. In fact, this is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the book of Revelation, and often people are, are I don't want to say they're disappointed, but sometimes they're surprised when I don't go the same direction that they were hoping I would go when I study that book. Some of you have been through it with me. You know what I'm talking about. They sort of want me to say, oh, well, you know, if you watch the news, you can see right now 
who the Antichrist is. And you can see, you know what, I'm not even, I won't go there. I just take the book as it's written because it's a beautiful book. And the beautiful thing about it is that it reminds us more clearly than any other passages you'll read in the Bible of the unique relationship the body of Christ has from within time and space as we experience it here and now with all those things that are outside of time and space, which are the real reality. They're the reality that we aspire to. Who's at the end of the race? It's Jesus. Where is the end of the race? It's in his timeless realm. And that'll either happen because we've died and left time and space and crossed over to his realm there, or because he has returned to where we are to make this now, not temporal, but eternal. Either way we win, <laughs> either way we win. And so I will be preaching a lot about these things in the next several months, and uh, I will look forward to uh, an extended Advent season with you where we'll talk a lot about his return and how that isn't something that you sit around and wait for. It's something that you run toward. So the really amazing thing is, is you're running toward the finish line, but Jesus is moving the finish line closer to you. <laughs> he really wants you to win. And that's what's so beautiful about this. And the Apostle Paul says to us that while we run this race, we're not alone. We are running with others. Imagine a relay race where you are not really competing with each other. And yet you are because you're so eagerly pursuing Christ that you are, you know, surely you've, I have a real bad problem with test anxiety. Always have. And boy, when somebody starts turning in their papers and I'm not even through the first page, I get really anxious. And what I've noticed about horses when I've watched horse races over the years is that some of them need blinders to keep them from seeing the horse next to them because if they see this horse gaining on them, it urges them on and that can be a little bit of a problem for the jockey. And, and, and so when I imagine us running together towards a common goal where we all win and we're not in competition with each other, I still imagine that we urge each other on if only with the exuberance and joy we have in our pursuit of Christ. That, that somehow, somehow it's like when you're drafting off of a race car. Anybody watch the Indy 500 last week? You know, sometimes to win the race, they have to stay right in the pocket behind the car in front of them and let that pull them along. And that is a better, that's how you'll see teammates on, on car races doing that. They, they will draft each other. They'll, uh, you'll see foolish people following trucks that way on the interstate. Very dangerous. But the point is, this is what I imagine our relay race toward Christ being like. We're, we're drawing each other along. We're encouraging each other along. And this is the language Paul uses in all of his letters and all of his encouragement, even when he's correcting uh, like the Church of Corinth, for example, you know, he's always urging them to not compete with one another, but carry each other along and urge each other toward the race, the finish of the race. And this great cloud of witnesses, well, when you read and say the words to our creeds, for example, we use phrases like a holy Catholic church, or we use phrases like the communion of the saints, and this is sort of what it's referring to here, because in our context, Catholic Church with a small c is just like, is, is an old sort of Latin word that means universal. 
It just means all Christians. Small c Catholic means the body of Christ. Um, I always say small c Catholic, capital C Christian. You know, that's, that's what that really means. And in the same way, the communion of the saints is a concept that expresses how, whether alive or dead, whether in the timeless realm of Christ or here in the flesh, we are one body, united with each other, and with our Lord Jesus and all the heavenly host, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, that, that it's all one thing. And the fact that we can't see would, I'm, I just got stuck in my own phrase here. It's really amazing to me because as I look out over this sparse crowd, spaced out for, for safe distancing, I think it's ironic because it's a beautiful image of what I'm trying to describe. You can't see all the people sitting on the pew with you right now, but they're there. You know, not sixth sense, I see dead people, all right? Nothing like that. Thanks for laughing, Courtney. It, it, it was a stupid joke, but I couldn't resist it. But, but I look out here and I see you, you know, and, and, and what I'm trying to describe is all the people you can't see who are also part of this communion of the saints. And this is where the word communion gets its root, because it is a word for how we are one in Christ with each other, whether living or dead, whether angelic beings, whether Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It, it's all connected in the communion of the saints. And what this, this Lord's table, Lord's Supper does is it, it pulls us together for a moment in that and reminds us not only that we're experiencing something intimate in the physical realm, but we're experiencing something intimate in the supernatural realm of Christ, the outside of nature as we comprehend it. In this case, we're not talking about paranormal activity. We're talking about normal activity that you can't see. And that is, in fact, the real reality. That is the reality. The, the saints, the cloud of witnesses. And that brings us to another term we use to describe the Lord's table, a term we use called Eucharist. It's another one of those ancient church words, but what it means is thanksgiving. It means that every time we come to the Lord's table, we give thanks. And what are we thankful for? Well, this is called a memorial act, and so we have a tendency to refer to it as something that we do as a commemoration of it. You know, like, like every June 6th, we go and, and, you know, raise a flag on Normandy and remember D-Day, but it's not that. Because this is a unique experience um, there's, a, there's a $10 word in my notes that I want to refer to, but you know how I get off my notes sometimes. Uh, yeah, this word, anam, anamnesis, is a word that the ancient church would have used to describe what they're doing when they go to the Lord's table. It's a dynamic action, meaning that it is both a memorial and a recreation of the original event. In other words, we're experiencing the Lord's presence in the commemoration of his act of 
grace and mercy and sacrifice where he says to them, once upon a time, you put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and you consume the body of the lamb in order to escape the justifiable wrath from God. And now you don't have to fear that because I'm the lamb and because my blood and my body are the replacement. And therefore, you are saved because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And what he wants us to understand is, is that even when we come to this this uh, experience in our worship service on August 30th, 2020, we're in interacting with the timelessness of God, which means that when Jesus says, this is my body given for you, when Jesus says, this is my blood poured out for you, Jesus says it to you. In the same way that when God said to Moses from the burning bush, I am, he says it to you in the same moment he says it to Moses. Because God's I amness is timeless. And Jesus, being God the Son, says, This is my body given for you, and he means you. And when I say these words, I'm simply a voice for the Spirit. You hear Christ offering you his body and his blood. Now that adds a richness to the experience that is overwhelming if you would like to let it be that. And you know, it's not a bad idea to get a little overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit in church once in a while. Amen? <laughs> so with all that being said, then, it may look like there aren't many of us here. But just like there's a cloud that we refer to now as the internet and this invisible cloud that's carrying all this stuff across the internet and storing it on servers somewhere, you know, there is a great cloud of witnesses watching online right now. But those aren't the ones we're talking about. Well, they are, but there's more cloud of witnesses. There was a cloud of witnesses before we ever heard of the concept of the cloud, right? And that's what this whole passage is saying to us. And so when we go to the Lord's table now, we really are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, whether we see them or not. And Jesus is with us, whether we see him or not. And the Apostle Paul, who speaks these words from his time and outside of time, is with us now. Your beloved, dear, deceased loved one is with us now, just as you are here. Paul ran his race and he urged his companions along the way, saying, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's urging you along, even as he's urging me along, and he's, he's looking at the prize. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Please burn it upon our hearts. Change our nature, we pray, so that all of our words and motives might be under your control, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.